Good morning, everyone. That's why we're here, the name of Jesus. So I'm going to open us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for each person that's here this morning. I'm thankful that we can lift your name in praises. I pray now, Lord, as we continue our study in the book of Daniel, that you would continue to help us to understand uh, what you need us to understand from this book, that we're encouraged and inspired by the faithfulness of Daniel, but more importantly, by your faithfulness towards us. So I'm thankful again for this opportunity that we have to be together to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in week two of our Faithful God series, which is a study of the book of Daniel. And last week, you might remember, we learned about the impact of our decisions. We found out that God's people were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And the Lord allowed this to happen because of the decisions, primarily because of the decisions of the wicked King Manasseh, which happened about 60 to 70 years prior. Now King Nebuchadnezzar has his officials select noble young men, and his desire was to reprogram them by making all their micro decisions, remember the small decisions, what they ate, what they drank, what they learned on a daily basis for three years. So basically, he took these captives and says, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to eat this, you're going to learn this, you're going to drink this, you're going to do this, and I'm going to reprogram you by all those micro little decisions so that you're a follower of me and no longer a follower of the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar also had their names changed so they would identify with the Babylonian gods and not the one true God. So this is kind of where we pick up. And today from Daniel 1, 8 through 7, we're going to learn this. This is what we're going to learn. This is our big idea. It's a long big idea. Being faithful to God results in witnessing God's faithfulness to us so that we can bring glory to him. Okay? Being faithful to God results in witnessing God's faithfulness to us so that we can bring glory to him. So let's start off with being faithful to God. Daniel 1, verse 8. In the, first, in the beginning of that verse, uh, verse 1-8-A, so to speak. So, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So Daniel, at this point, took a stand against eating the kid's, king's food, excuse me, the king's food and drinking his wine. Now, interestingly enough, Daniel and his friends didn't balk at their names being changed, okay? So they didn't balk at their names being changed, and this is probably because when they were together, they probably still used their Hebrew names, okay? When they were hanging out in their bunk beds or whatever, they were still using their Hebrew names, but they felt that, you know what, if the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, if they can call me whatever they want, but that's not who I am. But now when it came to eating and drinking, Daniel and his friends had a strong conviction against it, and it was really, I believe, for two reasons. And the first is the, this reason. The first was to avoid idolatry. Now, idolatry is the worship of idols. Now, the king's food was most likely meat sacrificed to Babylonian gods, and Daniel and his friends wanted nothing to do with that. In fact, they felt if they ate and if they drank what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to, they felt that they were spiritually defiling themselves because that food was sacrificed in honor of gods that they did not worship, that were in fact false gods, they weren't real gods. Now in our context and culture today, 
the idolatry issue looks a little different. I mean, how many of you have been confronted with this issue? Hey, come on over to my house. I have a piece of steak and it was sacrificed to a false god. Anyone? This doesn't happen to us, right? So in modern day, a modern day application of idolatry is what we put our time, our energy, and what, what we take into our lives can take us off the focus of God. So idolatry is anything that can kind of really take our focus off of God. So that could be anything. It could be something sinful. It could be something that is not sinful, and it's actually good, but it actually takes our focus. We put too much time and too much energy into something that takes our focus off of God. So Daniel and his friends, they said, we're not eating this because we feel that this would defile us. We feel that this would be like honoring these false gods. For us today, like I said, we don't have many opportunities like that, but we do have opportunities to choose certain things over our allegiance to God. Meaning this, like think about your life, okay? How much time do you spend in God's word, worshiping God, working on your spiritual disciplines and things like that? Then you got to think of how much time do you spend doing all the other things, okay? And, you know, that's, that's convicting to us, right? And, you know, I joke about this and I say this all the time. Like, you know, people spend so much time binge watching things and, and, you know, maybe on social media and stuff. Well, think about your life. How much effort and time do you put into other things? And then how much effort and time do you put into your spiritual life? If it's way out of balance, then you have to think, okay, what, what am I doing here? Okay, what am I really worshiping? And I know none of us are worshiping TV. None of us are worshiping uh, social media. Some of you might be worshiping sports teams. Okay, but here's the thing. Most of the time, most of the time, we're not worshiping it as it's a God. But if it's taking away from our allegiance and our time and our energy that we put into spiritual things. There's no reason that you and I can't spend more time in God's word, can't spend more time in prayer, can't spend more time on spiritual disciplines. The only reason is, is we're choosing not to, okay? We're choosing not to. The second reason I believe Daniel and his friends did not want to eat was in order to keep God's law. It was likely that some of the foods were unclean based upon God's law for an Old Testament Hebrew. Okay, Daniel and his friends, being devout followers of the Lord, would do their best to follow God's law. Okay, they would do their best to follow God's law. Now, for us today, as believers, our desire should be to follow God's moral laws and not sin against him or sin against other people. So, in other words, this has to do with obedience. Okay, Daniel and his friends just said, basically, we feel that we're disobeying God if we eat this food. We're not going to eat this food. So, and if we do, we feel that we're disobeying God. So for us today, we have to look at God's word and say, what am I doing or what am I asked to do or what am I encouraged to do that might be taking me down a path that I would be disobeying God? What am I asked to do? What am I encouraged to do? Or what am I doing that I'm asked to disobey God? And the answer then we have to say is, well, if I'm encouraged to, asked to, or desire to do something that disobeys God, that's where I got to check my heart and realize my allegiance is to God. I need to obey him. I need to follow after him. Now, because of these two reasons, Daniel realized it would be sin to eat the king's food. So he made a request 
not to eat and drink Nebuchadnezzar's food and wine. Let's find out what happens next. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now we see where God in his faithfulness now works through unbelievers, okay? Remember, we're talking about a faithful God. Now we're going to see and witness how God in his faithfulness to Daniel will work through unbelievers, which really brings us to our next point, and that is witnessing God's faithfulness. Now I'm going to read a pretty long passage, verse 9 through 14 we're going to go. Okay, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths that are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So now this, this chief official, this eunuch, said, well, you know what, you're making this request, but, you know... <laughs> Our king's not a nice guy, okay? And so why should I not feed you the right thing and then I wind up getting killed? So let's see what happens. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So notice now, there's a steward that's in charge. He was probably the guy who brought the food, okay? So the, the eunuch, the official, was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to stick my neck out for you. But now Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he, the steward, listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Now think about this in context. The chief official did not want to stick his neck out for Daniel, but he found favor and compassion in the sight of the Lord, like the beginning of the passage says, and which led the official to put this steward in charge of them. But now why would the steward stick his neck out? Because it's kind of like the same thing, right? Okay, because if something happened, then the king would say to the official, like, what's going on here? And he's going to be like, well, it was him, okay? He's not going to be like, well, you know, I take responsibility for this. He's going he's gonna to throw the steward under the bus, right? Why would this steward stick his neck out? Well, the only logical explanation that I can think of reading this passage is it was an act of God. Okay, it was an act of God, or in other words, a display of God's faithfulness to Daniel. Okay, so we're witnessing God's faithfulness to Daniel and how God is faithful to him and his friends, and he's watching over him, as some would say. But why? Well, why does God do this? Well, Daniel was faithful to God, and God wanted to show Daniel his faithfulness would be rewarded. Okay. God, Daniel was faithful to God. God wanted to show Daniel, your faithfulness will be rewarded. God was faithful in working through the unbelieving steward that allowed Daniel and his friends to abstain from eating the king's food. Now, for us today, maybe you are in some issue at work or in school or with your family or with your friends, and it's putting pressure on you to, to do something that is either questionable or actually sin against God. Maybe in that situation, you feel your only option 
is to do the wrong thing because you're dealing with unbelievers. You're like, they're never going to understand this. I can't make that decision or I can't go that way. They're never going to understand this. I'm dealing with unbelievers. They don't understand my commitment to the Lord. So you're afraid. So you're afraid to do the right thing. You're afraid to make a request and take a stand for what you believe. Now, without going into detail, I want to kind of share a little illustration about someone I know that he actually, this person asked me for a letter because at work they were asking him to perform procedures that he felt violated what he believed, violated his biblical um, convictions. So it was, it was something accepted by the world, but not in the Christian faith. Now, this was sin for him, okay? And I'm not talking about vaccinations, okay? I'm not talking about that. This was something that he was asked to do at work that he felt was against God. So he asked me, he said, Pastor Mike, can you write me a letter? My boss said, if you have religious proof or you have biblical proof, we'll consider this. So I supported that person. I wrote a letter. I stated biblical references of why this person felt that he could not participate. Well, guess what? God worked through the unbeliever's boss the unbelieving boss, and excuse that worker from participating in those procedures. Now, I believe that part of the reason God worked in this way with this Christian worker is because he displays integrity, consistency, he's a good worker, a good work ethic, and the, un the unbelieving boss did not want to lose that worker based upon his conviction. So that's an example of God's faithfulness. This is kind of like a modern-day Daniel in a sense saying, hey, you know what, boss? I can't do this. It goes against everything that I stand for and everything I believe. And, I mean, his job was pretty much on the line in some senses. So this person was faithful to God, so he witnessed God's faithfulness. By word of encouragement, and this is something we will see time and again in the book of Daniel. Do what is right because it is right before God, okay? Do what is right because it's right before God. Don't let the fear of a situation cause you to disobey God. Don't let the fear of a situation cause you, and we've all been there, right? The fear of a situation, what will happen to me? Especially when it comes to issues with work, right? Because the first thing we go to is, this is my livelihood, and feed my family. Will the Lord, you know what I mean? So we think about those things. But listen, do what's right because it's right before God. Don't let the fear of the situation cause you to disobey God. So let's find out what happened with Daniel and his friends. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, let me just tell you, this is to be understood as a miracle, okay? This is to be understood, and it's not teaching that a plant-based diet is superior to a meat, okay? It's not teaching that. So anyone that tries to teach that this is what our diet should be based upon Daniel is actually not correctly interpreting. In fact, if you want, you can do yourself a favor, you could read Romans 14, because Paul speaks about the issue of food and conscience for the Christian, okay? And how the parameters are that we should, we can eat basically whatever we want, but the only commands around eating for the New Testament Christian are don't be a glutton, okay? 
and don't cause other to stumble. Don't be a glutton and don't cause other to stumble. So don't take this out of context and say, okay, and, and you know, I know Christians do this all the time. They write books about it. This is what Daniel ate. You know, like, no, this is your diet. Try it for 30 days. It's not good. You know what I mean? Like, um, so here's the thing. We just got to remember the context of what's going on. So what happens next is not a result of 10 days of eating vegetables and drinking water, but it's a testimony of God's faithfulness to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They not only remained healthy and strong, they actually looked better than the ones that ate the king's food. Their appearance has everything to do with their faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to them, and little, if anything, to do with the nutrition of the food that they ate. Now, there's a question, though, that comes up that we often ask in a situation like this. And here is the question. Is God only faithful to us when we are faithful to him? Okay? Do, 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 do. Okay? Is God only faithful to us when we're faithful to him? And guess what? The answer to that is actually no. 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, If we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Okay? If we are faithless, so you might be, and I don't want you to say, okay, then we have to, we can erase everything, because God's going to take care of me. Okay? Let me just tell you this. If we are faithless, he is still faithful, because he cannot deny himself. That's who he actually is. So how faithful we are to God does not change God's faithfulness to us. So then the question is, why should we be faithful? And hopefully you realize the answer to that question is because of what Christ has done. Okay? Why should I obey? Why should I do the right thing? Why should I make the right decisions? Why should I go to God daily? Well, it's because he's done everything for me. Okay, the scriptures tell me that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That savior is Jesus. He was willing to come and lay down his life for me and die a criminal's death for me, for my sins in my place. And then he rose to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. I have a God who loves me, who's faithful to me, who is willing to lay down his life for me. So why wouldn't? I want to follow him. Why wouldn't I want to go his way? Why wouldn't I want to listen to his words? I have a faithful God. We have a faithful God that loves us so much. I do believe, based upon this passage and many others, or the passage in Daniel and many others, when we are faithful to God, we are calling on God to bless the things we do and the decisions we make in view of him. Okay? I do believe that there's an extra special blessing, right, of faithfulness when you live like somebody like Daniel did, when you make those requests. Because Daniel could have just kind of towed the line, right? He could have just came in and said, okay, yep, we're captives, okay? God let this happen. We've got a different name. There's the food, okay? And it looks better than the vegetables, okay? They, he, they could have said that, and they could have just towed the line, but they didn't. Luke 6, 38 says this. It says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. This is the words of Jesus. He's saying, hey, listen, 
You continue to be faithful. You continue to be generous. You continue to do all the things that I asked you to do. And guess what? I am such a faithful God. You are going to be blown away by how much I'm going to bless you. You're not even going to be able to imagine that this would happen. And, you know, a miracle that we see is four guys that ate an inferior diet, so to speak, and looked way better. So now here's the extra blessing of God's faithfulness that Daniel and his friends received, okay? It says this, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting here. The blessings that Daniel and his friends received were excelling in everything that King Nebuchadnezzar needed and wanted them for. Now, think about this, okay? They're captives. Now they're set apart. And now the king is like... Yeah, we got some good boys here, okay? He's looking at these guys and saying, they've excelled in everything. Well, why? Okay, why did they excel in everything the king needed them for, okay? Babylonian wisdom, Babylonian literature. They knew all these things. Now, they excelled in all these things. Well, I'm going to give you the reason. And the main reason is our last point, and that was to bring glory to God. We're going to see this multiple times as we study through Daniel. To bring glory to God, because God is the one who will ultimately get the glory. Now, in this passage, we see here the skills these four young men had to bring glory to God. And the first was learning and skill in literature and wisdom. Like I said, more than likely, this is Babylonian literature. This is their wisdom as defined by them. This doesn't mean it's not godly wisdom, but because of the context, it is the wisdom that the Babylonians appreciated. Okay, It's the wisdom that the Babylonians appreciated. Next, understanding and visions and dreams. This is, this is specifically Daniel is named here. This was specifically for Daniel, and we're going to see that, obviously, in the coming weeks, if you know anything about Daniel. But then the final thing is they were superior. Remember, it says 10 times better. 10 times better, probably a figure of speech, but the comparison here is not with the other Hebrew trainees, not the other captives. It's actually with the people of Babylon, the magicians and the enchanters. So now, all of a sudden, you have a king here sitting here, takes these captives. These captives say, no, we're not eating that diet. We're going to eat our own diet because we want to follow God. Then they're brought before, and guess what? They look better than anybody else in the kingdom, okay? They look better than anybody else in the kingdom. Now, here is the moment of truth, and in a sense dictates how the rest of the account of Daniel and his friends is going to go. Now, they could have either used the blessings to bring themselves glory, or they could use the blessings 
to bring God glory. Now think about this for a moment of truth. Standing before the king. You guys, you guys are it. You guys are great. You guys excel in everything. You know, Daniel could have been like, <laughs> okay, I'm awesome, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Daniel could have been, don't soundbite that on me. Don't be like, listen to Pastor Mike. <laughs> he says he's awesome. I didn't say, <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Daniel could have been like, look at us. You know what I mean? We, we are, and, and, and here's the temptation. Here's the temptation. When you're elevated, who gets the glory? So glory is defined as honor, praise, and worship. And this is where it gets real for us because we all have gifts, talents, abilities, and skills. Like Daniel and his friends, we have two options. We can use these things to bring glory to ourselves, which that's what our culture teaches us to do, doesn't it? Bring glory to yourselves. Or we can use these things to bring glory to God. The truth is, we have been given gifts, talents, abilities, and skills, not for our own glory, but for God's glory. If we just use these things for our enjoyment, for our personal gain, for our personal glory, we're actually missing the point of why God blessed us in the ways that he has. You get that? If you just use... Whatever you're good at, whatever you excel at, all these things, that all the blessings, if you just use this stuff to make a name for yourself, to bring glory to yourself, to make yourself look good, you've actually missed the big point of why God has blessed you. Sure, some of the outcomes of those blessings will be enjoyment, will be gain, will be glory, but those are just extra blessings. The real blessing lies in the ability to bring God glory and use what he's blessed you with for him. So now it's time for you to figure out. Hey, there's homework for you this week. It's time for you to figure out what am I blessed with to bring God glory? What am I blessed with to bring God glory? So I, I came up with some questions for you to ask yourselves, and we're just going to go through them briefly. What am I good at? You have to ask yourself, what am I good at? Where, what, what am I good at doing? How can I use what I'm good at doing to serve God? In what areas am I one of the few that can achieve and accomplish? The reason why I say this, in what areas am I one of the few that can achieve and accomplish? You know, God gives us things that we're good at. God gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. And you know what? God places you in the places that you might be one of the few to actually serve or do in that way. And guess what happens? If you're one of the few and another one of the few all decide, I'm just going to use this for myself, what happens to the people around you? What happens to your church? What happens to your workplace environment? What happens to all the areas of life where God put you to use these things to bring him glory. It suffers. You know, the scripture teaches about the, the, the church, okay? And it says we're a body, okay? If one member suffers, all the members suffer. So do you know that if you're good at something, if you excel in an area, 
and you're placed here in this church, and you just stubbornly put your hands underneath your thighs and say, I'm not doing it, do you know that we all suffer? I'm not happy about that, okay? And I hope you're not happy about that either. Because in some senses, I feel as part of the body of Christ, it's unacceptable for us not to work together. So then you have to ask yourself, where do I excel in life? You know, this might not be just in the local church. It might be you excel in life in some area, in business, in some kind of, uh, you know, career. Where do I excel? And then you might say, well, I don't see how that plugs into, like, church-type ministry. Well, no, no, no. You can use, in any area that you excel, you can use those things to serve God. You can use those areas in life. Maybe it does translate. Maybe, maybe God has placed something on your heart that you maybe can invent something or do something that brings greater ministry to our community. I, I don't know what that is. This is for you to figure out, right? Where do I excel? Then you have to ask yourself, how can I use that? The next is this. Oh, go back. What do I love to do? Now, a lot of times people think like service, right, is just something you don't like, right? But the truth is, what do I love to do? Some of you have loves and passions of things that you love to do, and you're like, how can I use this for God? How can I use what I love to bring glory to him, to talk to other people? You know, in my life, for me, I always look at anything that I do, anything that I do for fun, my hobbies and different things, I always look. How has God placed me in these places to do these things so that I can bring glory to him, so that I can meet more people, talk to more people, tell more people about Jesus? God gives you, maybe you're a golfer, and you're thinking, how do I use golf for Jesus? And you're thinking, I even stink at it, but I love it, okay? So how do you use golf for Jesus? Well, maybe you have a couple of non-believing friends that you go to golf with, and maybe normally you're just golfing. And you forget to pray, like, hey, you know what? These unbelieving friends actually need Jesus, and we spend hours and hours hitting this little ball, not into a hole, and not doing what we're supposed to be doing with the golf ball, but God placed you here, and you love to do it, so you can use that to actually serve him. And then you have to ask, what are the needs around me? What are the needs around me? You know, a lot of times, like, we're good at seeing the needs, we're good at identifying the needs, and we're good at ignoring the needs, okay? We're good at looking, but not actually doing. Somebody needs to do this. If you ever say that, okay, if you ever say somebody needs to do this, the next question you have to ask yourself is, is it me? Okay, is it me? And then finally, what is God calling me to do? This is where we pray. We ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? What do you need me to do? Why have you placed me in the place that I'm at? Why am I here in this place, in this church, in this work, in this community, in this school system? Whatever it is, whatever it is, what are you calling me to do? I do truly believe that God has a calling for each person. I believe that he has a desire for you to follow after him. I believe that he has a desire for you to be faithful to him. I believe that he will be faithful to you when you follow after your desires to follow him. So each of us needs to answer those questions. 
Some ways you can answer them is by asking God in prayer. You know what? Like I said, this is homework. If you want to take a picture of it so you can answer those questions, do so. But, you know, just pray on this stuff. Ask God, God, what, what do you want me to do to bring glory to you? I could tell you this, and, and, and this is so important. If you live your life for your own glory, you will be a miserable person. You will be. I'm just telling you, you're going to be miserable if you're living your life for your own glory. That's why, you know, when you, when you watch these documentaries and, you know, you have these famous people that achieve so much and everybody's looking at them, they have so much money, and they're suicidal. People are like, why? They have everything. That's why, okay? Because they think they have everything. When we can answer them and start to pursue and do those things, we can fulfill the purpose of bringing God glory which is a testimony of our faithfulness to him, and I can assure you, he will be faithful to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the faithfulness of Daniel, which teaches us about your faithfulness to us. I pray, Lord, for each one of us to figure out where and what areas we need to bring glory to you. I'm thankful again for this day, for this time. For your word, in Jesus' name we pray.